Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. It has been a while. <laughs> As always, uh, my name is Josh Iverson. I am the Associate Editor of Baseball Trade Values. I'm joined by owner and founder John Bitzer. John, how have you been? I've been okay. Josh, hanging in there. Stuck in quarantine for a while, but starting to emerge. I'm lucky to be in a state that handled it pretty well. I'm in New Jersey, and we're on the backside of it. So far, so good. Knock on wood. So uh, anxious to get back into the swing of things and see some actual baseball. Yeah, I think uh, I think hanging in there is about as well as any of <laughs> us have been doing these last couple of months. But it's great to be yeah. back. It's great to hopefully have baseball back. Uh, fingers are crossed as <clears throat> tightly as they can yeah. be on that one. I just wanted to say for those of you who are who are, are in states or you know cities or counties that are that are still kind of reeling from issues around coronavirus, you know we certainly feel the pain because uh, you know we've been there, uh, having lived through that. So good luck to everybody in that situation, and um, we yes. know it's a trying time for the year as well. So we're doing the best we can and been very respectful of it. So um, with that said, we are certainly eager tentatively to see some baseball again. Yes, uh, we want, still want everyone to stay safe, and hopefully this is just a way to keep you ocup- occupied for an hour a week while you're sitting at home doing nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. This uh, a, a lot's been going on over these last few months of our temporary podcast hiatus. Um, a lot's been going on in the world, and all of that certainly takes precedence over baseball and discussing baseball trades. But now that it's possibly potentially hopefully safe to have baseball back again um we're back too and we're more excited than ever to get back to it and get back talking about it even if it's just as a bit of a distraction from from some trying times yeah absolutely let's get some fun back in life yes we could all use some all righty (laughs) so the timing of this actually couldn't be much better because just on uh on tuesday we saw our first trade um, since the season was essentially paused due to the pandemic. And that was Jorge Mateo headed to the San Diego Padres from the A's in exchange for a player to be named later of cash. So, John, what was your initial reaction to this being the first uh, first deal? My initial reaction was not surprised at all because Mateo has been, you know, one of these guys that um, – was rumored to be in a log jam. He's out of options. And you see a lot of trades with these types of players without of options. Sometimes people underestimate that as a motivational factor. But what that means is, you know, he has to make the 26-man roster ultimately or be DFA'd. And, um, and he was sort of on the bubble. He was competing for the second base job, even though he's natural shortstop for the A's. And they had several other players who seemed like they were on the depth chart ahead of him. So I wasn't surprised that they were trying to get anything they could out of it. I think there uh, might have been just a little bit of an opening in the market window because of the new rule um, where you can have a runner on second base in an extra inning situation. And so you want that runner to obviously have some speed. Mateo has 80 grade speed. So teams that might need a pinch runner in that situation might think, aha, now we need somebody fast. There you go. A's might have had a market for him so they could get something from him. We also know that Historically, he used to be a top prospect, but he's one of these guys that has been slowly sliding down the scale to the point where our valuation of him was was on the low side at 2.7. So he's still got a little bit of upside, but to be honest, he's a 25-year-old prospect. Doesn't seem to have taken well to, you know, hitting adjustments 
Um, there's been some issues around, is he a head case? Is he not a head case? You know, at this point, the A's seem to be like, okay, let's cut our losses and, and move on. So that's, and, and San Diego seems to have a gap where they can, um, they, I, I read a piece from Eric Langenhagen in Fangraphs uh, that yes, said yeah. they would like to try him in center field. There's been rumors that he, and he's been doing, he had done that a couple of years ago, I think when he was in the Yankees organization, uh, where he tried center mm-hmm. field for a while. Certainly his speed plays well. They had traded uh, Randy Margot uh, a few months ago, so they may have may have an opening there. They don't really have a natural center fielder, so he might have an opportunity to, to earn that job. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone in baseball agrees that he's, He's got the mold of a useful bench player at at the worst. He's got a very smooth glove at shortstop. He's lightning fast, as you said. And if he can add center field to that, um, along with second base, maybe third base, um, that's a player that, especially in this kind of a season, expanded rosters, that's a player that's worth having. Um, it's interesting to note that Preller's gone after him in the past, reportedly. Um, he targeted him in a trade back when he was with the Yankees, but found the asking price too high. Preller's a guy that's always been very in tune and um, always been very keen on the international market. It seems like that's where he does some of his best work. And so maybe this is just another case of San Diego getting their guy. And yeah. another important thing to, to point out here is that it's this isn't your necessarily going to be your traditional player to be named later. This is due to some of the uh, the different, the weird roster construction rules and the whole 60-man kind of player pool. Um, you can only trade, this season, you can only trade from players within that 60-man pool. So there's a very, very significant chance that this is still a player of some value that will be headed back to Oakland, but it's one that's off of the player pool and they're waiting since you get, I believe it's six months to name your player to be named later. Mm-hmm. it's either six or three i yep. may be wrong on that um but it could be a prospect that just isn't on san diego 60 man or that the a's don't want to add to their 60 man and so it's it, this isn't a formerly well-regarded prospect necessarily for a bag of peanuts there could be some value heading back to oakland Yes, there could be some. And San Diego, it should be noted, has a glut of prospects. That's not a surprise mm-hmm. to anyone. And they're going to need to move them eventually because you can't just hoard prospects forever. So, so you know, somebody's uh, somebody on the 60-man and uh, not on the 60-man could still be, you know, somebody of some quality because they have so much depth, to your point. And, um, and yes, you're right. They have six months to do it. And it's a savvy move for the A's because it keeps the spot open if they need to add somebody from the IL like Daniel Megden mm-hmm. or get some pick up somebody else. Um, so so they've got some flexibility. And you might find that other teams start to do this type, type of thing as well. It might set a precedent in terms of future trades in the next month or so where you have some, some more types of trades involving PTB and Yes, and it would make sense to kind of get these out of the way now while uh, players are still are they're, they're, they're just starting to report um, just based on some of the other issues we have at play here where you don't necessarily want a player to come to camp for two weeks and spend his time with all these 50 other guys, 60 other guys, and then tell him, hey, you need to go to San Diego. Um, so it's, it's right. a complicated time. And it's we've seen some articles, we've all read some articles about um, kind of the ethics of trading during this time and kind of what we're going to see. And I think we, I think we'll see some more of this of GMs trying to 
do their best to do right by the players. I mean, it's it's an unenviable situation for anyone, but at least moving them at more opportune times to make it better for all parties involved. Yeah, and credit to the Ace Front Office for recognizing that. And uh, I saw that reported somewhere that um, they wanted to do it now so that mm-hmm. he could report directly to San Diego without going through Oakland first and then another team. So, so yes, um, uh, I think that's good, and I think that should be a concern of everybody. Um, I saw a quote from... Uh, Brian Cashman, GM of the Yankees, who said, um, yes, that's a concern as well, but when things get up and running and competitive juices start flowing, they might find that they get back to normal a little bit more. But nonetheless, you know, we all hope they'll take those considerations, you know, in, in hand. Right. The hope is that the system they have in place and the health protocol they have in place allows for transactions to run smoothly as well, because that's just a part of sports. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be uh, underperformance and waivers and the, the, you've got a 30-man squad and 30 other guys on the taxi squad. There's going to be some movement there between those. And so the hope is that all of the health protocols that the players in the league have agreed to and continue to adjust as more information becomes available, you hope that those are sufficient to keep everybody safe uh, despite the transactional nature of the sport. Yes, well said. All right, so from there, that's really our biggest piece of news since it's the first trade we've had in three months. Um, (laughs) From there, we'll head into a segment that we haven't hit in three months since we haven't recorded a podcast in three months, and that's the trade of the week. And so we are going to bring this back. Um, We still don't, we'll get into this a little bit later on in the episode, that we still don't necessarily know what the trade market is going to look like, what the trading environment, how busy it's going to be, but it's still fun to speculate. So... For this week, our trade of the week comes from user JBRJ, and it has the Padres, again, a very active team, and wouldn't be surprised to see them pushing some chips in, given the weird nature of this season. So as I'm picking up Josh Hader and Tristan Lutz from the Brewers in exchange for catcher Francisco Mejia, righty Andres Munoz, outfielder Josh Naylor, and starter uh, Cal Quantrill. So this is, it's a blockbuster. And it seems to pretty pretty well fit the Padres' viewpoint of, hey, maybe maybe in the next couple of years we can make a push for this thing. Haters under control for another three-plus years. Um, and they have, like you mentioned, that glut of young talent that they can certainly deal from. But uh, what, do you, what do you think about this from the Brewers' end? So the Brewers have the worst farm system in baseball. Obviously, they've been a contender, and that's partly why, because they've graduated some, but they've traded away a lot of prospects, and there's almost nothing left. And you could argue that trading Lutz doesn't make sense from that point of view as well. I think it's more of a sort of a uh, an even trade from you know him for other young talent. Mm-hmm. But Hater obviously is the main the main uh, uh, a piece here, and they were rumored to have been off off uh, uh, excuse me uh, shopping him in the in the off season um, to see what they could get. Uh, because he's a chip that maybe they could afford to lose, given, to your point, the years of control. And you never know with relievers sometimes, even though he's been absolutely dominant and brilliant. And, you know, he's got a lot of value right now. He could he, he could bust at any time. You know? mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it would behoove them to listen to offers. Um, and this would be a way to restock, um, you know, what they're getting back is sort of, 
just just over the hump of major league talent. Like Mejia is already a major leaguer. He used to be a top prospect. Kyle Quantrill's just now become a major leaguer. Josh Naylor. These are all very young guys with multiple years of control. So it's a way to kind of restock the young talent in their system. Munoz is an electric. He's a reliever, but he's an electric reliever. Um, right. That would be a potentially sort of young replacement. You know, in other words, restarting the clock for Hater's role if he's that good. So I think it makes a lot of sense from their point of view as well. Right, and the Brewers have one of the weirdest rosters, in my opinion, in baseball. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a weird stars and not necessarily scrubs, but kind of scrap heap for some of them and some top prospects, and it's it's a weird roster. And <laughs> they have they have some certain superstars. They have Christian Yelich. They have Keston Hira, who's looking like a budding superstar, and they have obviously Hater, and you wonder if, obviously, Hader is a short-term and long-term acquisition. He's still only 26. He's under control for three-plus years. He's the best reliever in baseball right now. But you wonder if, in a shortened season, we see relievers' value fluctuate even more. Because relievers in a, in a full season are already subject to small sample size. If you're only throwing 60 or 70 innings, then... There's a lot of luck inherent with that of, oh, that ball went over the fence. Now my ERA is half a run higher for the year. <laughs> so you wonder if you limit that down, make it a 60-game season. Now haters only throwing 20, 25 innings. Maybe it's an even more volatile asset that a team like the Brewers might say, hey, we still have a lot of holes in our roster in the short and long term. Maybe we can afford to move hater now in order to fill many of those. And, and like what you were saying about Munoz potentially being a replacement down the road, he's a bit in that uh, Emmanuel Classe kind of mold, right. where we saw him be highly valued enough by the uh, Cleveland Indians to move Kluber for him. And now since then, we've seen him test positive for, I believe, those PEDs and receive a hefty suspension. Yes. <laughs> but um, Munoz has that similar type of, he's young, he's throws gas and he's got all the potential in the world as a reliever, but he is relief only. So I think it's a good package for the Brewers. I don't know if this is the point in their competitive window where they make a move like this, but it's something to think about. Yeah. One other point is the Padres have built a killer bullpen. So one could argue, Mm -hmm. why did they need hater? They've got Yates, they've got Pomerantz, you know, they traded for Bagan, they Mm re-signed Stammen. I mean, they've, they've loaded up on the bullpen, but the, um, you know, but in this is a weird season, but they might need those quality arms because the starters are not going to go very long. It's good. We're going to see a lot of tandems, a lot more sort of weird combinations of short, short inning stints from starters. So you might need a stronger bullpen. So, and Hater obviously can go two, three innings. So yeah, mm-hmm. you can see a fit there. Yeah. Baseball trade value is drinking game. Take a shot every time we mention that it's a weird season. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Speaking of that, though, now we're going to head into our main topic, which is the weird season and what we can kind of (laughs) expect from it, what we anticipate, and just kind of some of the fallout of the changes to the baseball season, the length of it, and the rules that that accompany that. So where do you want to start? So we just updated our site with a new piece. Uh, We updated all of the values, first of all and then explain kind of how those values changed. And it's because of this weird season. So what we, we had to wait until we knew the facts. 
So there was some obviously back and forth with negotiations, which took forever. And where we ended up was we know they're going to play 60 games and those salaries are going to be prorated. So once we knew that, we could start doing the math and frantically update all the changes to the valuations. Now, that's for obviously for all major league players. So we have all new trade value for all the major leaguers. The prospects didn't change because their service time was not affected. The big change here is those major leaguers were given credit for service time as if they had actually played it. And mm -hmm. when we're going to have essentially two months left of the season, you have to imagine that four months were actually already been played. Since we don't have that real-time data, you also have to imagine that the projections for those performances played true to form as if that was real. So, cause that's all we have to go with. So now what mm -hmm. we're looking at is how do you project what they're going to perform at for the, the final two months of the, well, the only two months of the year, you know, and you have to use projections cause you don't have anything else to work with. So it's if, so it's a we so it's weird from that point of view. It's a weird cause you know, the season hasn't started yet technically, but it's also the last two months of the season. So you have to pretend as if it had, and, um, in a way, it's easier to look backwards. How closer are each are the players to free agency? You know, so for rental players, players in their walk years before the free agency, they've only got two months left, 0.3 of a season if in our math. So their values will have gone down dramatically. Similarly, players who are maybe only 1.3 years away, the Lindors and others, um, their values will have gone down dramatically as well because they missed out on all that production time that performed that 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 part of the equation you know where that performance value was generally a surplus value over over and above what they were earning they missed out on that that's wiped out mm -hmm. so that's what wiped out most of their value mm -hmm. and then on the flip side of that you got the negative value players you've got right. the underwater contracts that are suddenly a lot easier to maybe not necessarily easier to move but they're a lot lighter on the contract since you've just chopped off two-thirds of a season, but the player themselves hasn't necessarily changed. There's guys like Chris Davis of the A's where you don't necessarily expect mm -hmm. poor production from him this year. He had a down 20, uh, 2019, but that was his first real bad season. He had a consistent track record before then. You don't necessarily expect him to be a sub-replacement player again, but he's on a pretty sizable contract. And so now if you're chopping two-thirds of a season off of that two-year deal, he's going to gain some value back. And so maybe if the A's decide they want to move him either this season or down the road, maybe they can now. Um, there's also the question of whether they can, whether teams are going to be willing to take on large contracts given the um, the revenue issues and just the the drop in revenue due to playing 60 games and to, due to fanless games and every, every issue <laughs> resulting from the pandemic. But that's a different... Yeah conversation then that's yeah, all we can really do for that is guess we can but we we have you know tons of quotes from from owners mm -hmm. and saying yes we're losing a lot of money it's going to be a brutal free agent season and so what's that the effect of that it means that we we know that the cost per win will go down so in a normal year we would expect maybe three around three percent inflation of the cost per win so if uh if a win is typically around 9 million, it would go up to 9.3 and 9.6 and so on. Um, that's actually not going to happen this year because of the revenue loss. So in other words, um, pocketbooks, pocketbooks are going to get tighter 
on the uh, on the team side, and that's going to carry over into 2021 as well. So we had to adjust down the cost per win estimates for all of these players, which in turn affected the positive value players, the Lindors and Bryants and so on. Um, that has a that had had an effect on theirs as well. Uh, conversely, to your point, the the negative value players, you know, the biggest driver there was you didn't have to pay them for four months of underperformance. So you saved mm-hmm. money. So yeah. that's weirdly why they gave the value. It's just they're less negative. Yeah. And as they approach as as they approach the end of those negative contracts, it mean regresses to zero. So it's going to go down and down and down. Um, just like in the positive side, it's going to go down and down the more they get to closer to, to, to uh, free agency. So the biggest loser, if you will, uh, was Mookie Betts. You know, obviously he's not going to get traded by the Dodgers because they just traded him and they haven't even seen him play yet. Mm-hmm. But in in on paper value, you know, he we had him at sixty four point two and he's down to twenty eight point three, so he lost thirty five point nine, almost thirty six, thirty six million in value on paper. Uh, Lindor lost about twenty one, twenty two uh, million. So there's that so you could obvi- you could argue that teams that might be interested in trading for Lindor now don't have to give up as much. Of course, you lost the benefit of four months of production, but now mm-hmm. if you still want him. You know, maybe it won't cost as much in terms of prospects. Um, so, and that's true on down the line. Trevor Story, George Springer, Marcus Semien, Real Muto, you know, all these guys lost value. And those mm-hmm. are some of the biggest stars in the game. Yeah, it's, and we've, it's an important time, I feel, to reiterate that, as we've said multiple times in this podcast, in our articles, everything, it's not an exact science. It's never going to be. It's always been a model that we trust and that has been tried and pretty accurate and we incorporate some of our own adjustments for what the environment looks like at that time um, things that the numbers can't tell that they don't know but this season in particular is going to be even more of an inexact science there's so much we don't know we can only go off of like you said quotes from general managers and owners um, from those within the game and kind of our our best judgment for some of this and it, it certainly doesn't help that the only trade we've seen so far in this current environment was for a player to be named later. And so it's really hard to gauge whether we got that one, whether we're on the right track here. Um, we should be able to within the coming weeks if we do see more deals to kind of get a feel for, okay, that we're, we're on the right page here or we're not. We need to make an adjustment. But for right now, yeah. it's we're doing the best we can. Exactly. So usually you know when you have a small sample size you get more variance you get more noise mm-hmm. so it's possible that we'll see more variance um, and but one thing I do trust is that teams will generally spend less because they have less mm-hmm. money so um, players on big contracts you know I think are going to be uh, harder to move so you know a, a, a team that might need another starter um, may think twice about trading for a negative value contract like Johnny Cueto, even if the Giants kick in a bunch of money, because, you know, mm-hmm. there's still going to be a, a fairly high price to pay there into next year. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be that much harder to move a negative value contract because the, the issue of revenue loss is, is so, you know, is so prevalent for all these teams. Right, right. It's, it's uncertain for everyone involved and they're going to err on the side of caution for sure. Ownership is going to think twice about agreeing to any deal that has significant money coming their way when they don't know what their revenues are going to look like for this season, next season, or beyond. It's 
it's more uncertain than ever before. That's right. Okay, so from there, you also wrote an article. Um, this, this was a bit earlier in June about some of the released minor leaguers. Um, we just saw the announcement the other day that the minor league season will not be happening. Um, as a result, there were a lot of, it was kind of written, the writing was on the wall about that for a long time, um, that the minor league season, it was going to be too logistically difficult to happen if we can barely get a major league season to happen. Um, so teams quietly kind of, sometimes quietly, sometimes not so quietly, released a handful of minor leaguers over the last couple months. So what did you what did you find from those players? So um, it seemed like there was an absolute uh, avalanche of announcements of, of minor leaguers being released. But keep in mind, um, because of the suspended season, a lot of those guys might have been released back in March, but because of the transaction freeze, you know, they hadn't, you know, it just hadn't been announced yet. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. But there was indeed another part of it of cost savings. And, and people obviously knew that the minor league season was unlikely to happen. So, you know, you know, they were going to cut more costs as a result. Um, what we found is that when we looked at all those names and tested them against our model, um, we wondered, you know, to what degree they had trade value. And the answer was virtually none. Um, so it, it, part of it was selfish on our part to say, hey, is our model okay? Because, you know, think about it, if they had released players who did actually have trade value, mm -hmm. then that would mean we were doing something wrong. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a way to double check the model from our point of view. And, and, and we were pleased to see from a, a selfish point of view that we were right, that almost none of them had any trade value. Um, the average was point. 0.01, which is effectively zero. When we, at the time of the article, 766 players released. Only 18 had had any any numbers, and those were all zero ones, zero twos, or you know, it was low. So um, within the margin of error. So so mm -hmm. this was all like you know guys who just you know unfortunately didn't make it, or you know or, as we say organizational filler. So it was not really a surprise from that point of view. There wasn't any. Uh, you know, gold nuggets, if you will, it seems like that were unfortunately added um, or released at that point. So, um, but, you know, teams are cutting costs. They have nowhere to play. As you can see, the flip side of that is teams are now sort of setting up their 60-man pools. You know, they're kind of <clears throat> cherry-picking the prospects that they think either need development or can help the major league team. And if, if you're not on that, you know, I don't know what you're going to do. Develop on your own, maybe go to an instructional camp somewhere. Mm -hmm. But those are the ones that are also kind of being left out, even though they're still in the organization. Mm -hmm. There's even been talks, talks for those guys about independent leagues, and I've heard right. some, I've seen some backlash from players specifically about that, about how, hey, you're really going to expect us to develop in an independent league, and what happens to the independent league players that are already on those rosters? It's it's not a great situation for anyone. It's 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 easy to understand the frustration. But at the same time, it, it seems to me like there wasn't a whole lot else that could be done. It's already going to be a logistical nightmare to get 30 teams under the best of circumstances to complete a season here. I can't imagine making it work for an extra couple hundred minor league teams. Yeah, especially when there's no revenue coming in because that's all gate. Right. You know, there's no TV. So yeah. the only way they can make money is actually having the fans at the games. And if, mm -hmm. if that's not happening, there's no point. Yeah. Um, among those players released, there's a couple names that might be more familiar to either to a little bit more prospect-interested baseball fans or just uh, just people that are a little bit more in tune to that kind of stuff. There's uh, Shane Carl was with uh, the Rangers for he's, – he's seen some big league time reliever. 
Um, huh. Luis Gohara used to be a really big name with the Mariners and the Braves, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he always threw hard, couldn't really find the zone, and now it seems like he's kind of flamed out a little bit. Tyler J, another lefty. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Plenty of injuries. I believe Jay had some injury issues as well. Yes, he did. Yeah, he was um, a first-round draft pick that unfortunately mm-hmm. injuries got to him. And now, of the uh, Twins, The Reds picked I him up. Believe. Yeah, from the yeah. Twins, then the Reds kind of picked him up, hoping to restore some value, but nothing happened there. Mm-hmm. And then there's Homar Reyes of the Orioles, who was also a former top prospect in that system, top international pick who never really panned out, as well as Preston Palmero son of um yeah that's right of older palmero Raphael. Raphael, Raphael <laughs> back in the um, day <laughs> um and then a couple of veterans here at the bottom uh edwin jackson was hoping yeah. for another season with the d-backs and i think he's I, done <laughs> he could hop on somewhere just to add another team to his list but for now he's out of it and then tj rivera who was kind of who's been a mets fan favorite since day one presumably and i've never really been sure why <laughs> uh the mets love him mets you, fans you know love he's him. he's what because he gets a big hit every now and then and mm-hmm. you know he's one of these unlikely guys that's kind of one a, of the scrappy, you know, scrappy. Nick Punto type <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah so, that's what they remember <laughs> <laughs> so there's some there's some fun names in there there's a handful of others that have been prospects at one time or another and maybe they'll catch on with another system now that 60 man rock we've seen some some interesting signings over the last couple of days i believe the mets signed uh, jared hughes to a major league deal to put him on their 40 yeah, man roster got something left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. we're seeing some of these more fringe players that maybe in a typical season they just get a minor league deal they're getting put onto these 60 man rosters they're getting put onto some of them the 40 man roster because depth is going to be huge this season. Yeah. Um, you need as many as many viable arms, as many viable bats as you can get. Yep. And you'll see that a lot of these guys in our system, you know, we still won't have any trade value um, because a we don't know if they're going to make the 26 man roster, and b uh, veterans like Jared Hughes or Matt Kemp, they are going to they're not going to make league minimum typically they're going to make one or two yeah. million dollars typically and and their expected production especially in only 60 60 games is not is barely gonna make that you know make that even so there's mm-hmm. really there's no surplus there and in a lot of cases even if they are making close to the league minimum and this usually isn't something we account for but the bonuses and everything those are usually incentive laden contracts so we kind of figure if they're bad they won't get any incentives and they they won't be yeah. worth a whole lot of value on the field, so their low salary it'll still be a zero. If they're good, they'll make more money to kind of scale with that. It'll probably still be around zero. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to point out was that um, for the 60-man roster rules, it, it's a bit convoluted for how and if and when you can remove players from that roster. It has to do with injured list and the specific uh, coronavirus injured list. But in most cases, to remove a player from the 60-man you need to waive them, designate them for assignment, and let them leave them open to being claimed by any other team. So I'm wondering here if early on teams are more willing to take these veterans and put them on their 60-man, knowing that it's not the end of the world if I need a spot and I need to cut this guy. I can yeah. cut him. It'll give me some more flexibility. Maybe then later I can put on a prospect that I want to get some at-bats when I know when maybe my team's out of it halfway through the season. And I want to see some more time from a prospect, whatever. 
Um, that gives them some roster flexibility to cut a Matt Kemp in exchange for a younger kid that they wouldn't want to risk cutting earlier in the year. Exactly. Best case scenario, he helps the major league team win a couple of games. Worst case, he's not part of their future. So if they're not in it, it's no harm done. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this season is that anybody can help their team win games. <laughs> anybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, when you when you put it at 60 games, think about Derek Dietrich last year. Derek Dietrich would have been, I don't know if he would have been an MVP candidate for 60 games, but he he was a fantastic offensive performer through the Reds for 60 games last year. Um, and then after that, yeah, he and then fell the, off and, he... and became a non-tender candidate. Exactly, and that happens. And Aristides Aquino, also on the Reds, mm-hmm. had a huge run there, hitting mm-hmm. homers every day. And then, you know, but he's not, he's going to revert to the mean. He's not really going to do that in real life over a longer period. But in 60 game sample size, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just so much, there's the word again, uncertainty. <laughs> Anybody can do anything this year. And it's kind of fun, it's kind of scary, uh, but it, it should be pretty entertaining. Yeah, and so I'm 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 mostly curious about how that's going to affect the trade deadline on August 31st cuz typically mm-hmm. when it's a normal year and you have a July 31st trade deadline, you've got 4 months now. You know whether you're a buyer or a seller most mm-hmm. of the time. And you know how your guys have performed and what you need most of the time cuz you've got enough data to work with. Now, you've got essentially one month to work with. You don't know if you're going to be a buyer or seller. You don't really know if that was enough leash if you tried somebody out, whether they're going to get to your point, they could be a a flash in the pan or not. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to make these decisions is going to be very interesting. It's so difficult to judge where in, like you say, in a normal season, you have a pretty good idea of where you are after four months. There's obviously teams that'll take off in those last two months every now and then and make a surprise playoff push. But you have a pretty good idea. This time around, if you go 500 in the first month, you could easily go 25 and 5 in the second month, and suddenly you're the best team in the league. I mean, it's it's tough to gauge where you are, and when you are in kind of an, an uncertain spot, like maybe wild card team 500-ish after that first month, yeah. what, is, what is your thought process? Is it, oh, we're kind of out of it we don't know what can happen we don't want to give up assets for a rental just for to cross our fingers for a month and hope things work out or is your thought process hey that's craig stammen over there he was fantastic in the first month of the year the padres are offering him up we don't need him to be fantastic for another half a season we just need him to be fantastic for another month we think he can fluke into that let's pick him up yeah i think there will be some of that um i I have a sneaking suspicion, though, that most GMs will act rationally and mm-hmm. think about their longer term. So, in other words, I don't think you're going to see Al Avila of the Tigers suddenly going in, yeah. you know, in buy now mode, you know, because in the longer term, he's focused on his rebuild, right, as he mm-hmm. should be. Um, so he's, you know, uh, you know, so I think cases that are clear from the longer term point of view, where are you in your rebuild cycle? You're probably not going to, you know, go for short term decisions. But there are other teams that are sort of like bubbling up, like the Padres mm. we talked about, like the uh, the Blue Jays may find themselves, you yeah. know, they've got a little young talent. They might be a little ahead <laughs> of the curve. They might get tempted. You know, mm-hmm. the Reds obviously are trying to go for it. The White Sox think they've got a shot. So you might see some former sort of below average teams that are now in that middle tier thinking about that and maybe turning into a buyer. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of that, you got Cleveland and Chicago, where 
they have two of the biggest potential trade chips, at least before all this, before the shutdown and everything. The buzz was about Bet, Bryant, and Lindor. Those were the three superstars where their teams were kind of out of it, kind of in the middle there, and maybe they choose to move them. And so now the question kind of turns to those guys, Lindor and Bryant, of what's the what's the calculus there both for Cleveland and Chicago and for the buying teams? How do you how do you weigh all of the different factors of this shortened season of yeah, I'm getting less time of him and the price might be lower, but he can contribute more. A superstar might be more valuable in a 30 game stretch when it's more reliable that they will perform well versus for Cleveland, maybe for Cleveland and Chicago, it's, are we really going to give up on our chance when we're in the same situation? We can hang on to this guy for an extra month and maybe he has a hot streak and maybe we make the playoffs. It's a, it's a weird situation for those kind of teams. It, it is. And, and the Indians are trying to thread the needle of mm-hmm. us trying to stay competitive longer term. So they know they have to trade Lindor at some point. The only question is, when is that point? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, as the, as the clock ticks down, as his, his value starts to get down, that's going to increase the pressure on that decision. Um, but they're trying to sort of, you know, rejigger with, you know, as they saw last year with the Bauer trade, get some young talent in that is also kind of major league ready yeah. so that they don't have to do a full rebuild. The Cubs, I think, are in a different situation where, They've got all these expiring contracts after next year. You know, Bryant, <clears throat> you know, obviously the one. But they've got they've guys, guys that are starting to near free agency. Schwarber, you know, Rizzo, you know, Bias isn't much longer. Who do you re-sign and who do you not – or who do you try to trade while you still have some value? Do you go full-on rebuild and just say, okay, let's just break it up? You know, at what point do you make that decision? That's going to be really interesting for them. Yeah, and then the other thing is that there's – we don't know anything about the 2021 season yet either. We don't know how long things will be like this. We don't know if that season's going to be shortened or infected or anything. And that's something that these teams are going to have to take into consideration of, yeah, I could keep Lindor and hang on to him and try to trade him next season when maybe the market's more back to normal. But what if it isn't? What if it's another yeah. shortened season? What if I'm by hanging on to him. I'm just watching his value decrease day by day. And next thing you know, it's a Toronto Josh Donaldson situation Yeah, where they held yeah. on to him too long and got next to nothing for him. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a serious scenario they have to consider. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. And then, you know, looking even beyond that, you, we've got the expiration of the uh, current collective bargaining agreement, the CBA right. at the end of 2020, uh, 21. And we don't know yet, obviously, that's how it has to be negotiated, how that's going to change the environment. So the in I'm, I'm thinking about this particularly from a prospect valuation standpoint, because right now the model that we have, based on all the research we've seen, assumes that a good prospect is going to come up and provide six plus years of good production at a relatively mm-hmm. affordable cost. The big trend is, oh, players want to hit that free agency sooner because you know, they don't really get a payday. They get signed typically as a draft pick, and then they struggle in the minor leagues on, you know, very low wages for three or four years, and then they make minimum salary for another three years, and then they go over. So they get, you know, six to nine years of underpaid situation. So they, they want to get to that free agency faster. So yeah. so that could change the calculus for a prospect valuation because they may end up negotiating that down to where it's, say, five years of service and then you're a free agent instead of six and so that's going to change their valuations if that happens i'm totally speculating here but i wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if something like that happened on the flip side of that 
prospects could be more valuable than ever this season because their clock hasn't started ticking. Whereas I'm pretty sure players are guaranteed. (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm pretty sure players are guaranteed their 2019 service time this season, regardless of what happens. I might be wrong. Correct me if I am. Um, But so if the season goes a couple weeks and they have to shut it down, then those players still lose a year of control. Whereas a prospect whose clock hasn't started yet, they're the same as they just were. That's right. You know, the same uh, minor league rules apply, you know, eligibility for mm-hmm. rule five and, you know, you only get so many options and those things, but, but that's less of a concern, but yes, they still are attractive. So relatively speaking, especially with teams that are now, you know, hurting budget wise, you know, they're going to want to cut budget of older expensive players and skew more younger, mm-hmm. you know, to cheaper players. And so you're going to, I would not be surprised to see that happening more and more. So so um, that actually creates a bit of a divide between the valuations of the younger players. There was already a trend that way, as we've noticed, perhaps even more so now to your point. Those guys will be on even more valuable right now. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think my bold prediction is that it's a buyer's market. I think if you if you're willing to be aggressive, if you're a, maybe Brian Cashman and you have the okay from ownership to just hey, go for it. Um, I think it's a buyer's market. I think you're going to have a lot of teams that, like you say, are willing to move those more expensive assets. And as long as you can convince your ownership to be okay with it, I think you've got you've got the advantage on your side. Yeah, and I saw one prediction to that effect that a lot of teams will be non-tendering at the end of this year, some really good players. Mm-hmm. You know, the free agent market may, may be cold. And so you could you know, let's say the Yankees, for example, might be one of them, create a super team that is more of a super team than they already have. <laughs> yeah. you know, okay, I'm going to pick up that guy, that guy. Like, let's just go yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, you could be scary. right. <laughs> yes, um, I know. <laughs> and then the further complication here is scouting and prospect evaluation as a whole. I mean, we don't know yet what pro scouting is going to look like. We don't know if they're going to if teams are going to be scouting their the other team's taxi squads is that going to be a thing where they go to this second ballpark in new york or wherever your team's taxi squad is housed and watch them play a scrimmage against each other or just watch them take batting like what's that going to look like what's it going to look like for players that aren't playing i mean yeah so so uh, i've been uh, it's my understanding that um they are not allowed into the Mm -hmm. the alternate site where you have the sort of the D team, if you will. Yeah. Um, so that that scouting is not allowed. So you don't know if, like, if let's say you're interested in trading for a prospect who is currently on the 60 man and is playing on that B team, you have no idea how they're because they're not playing real games. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't even go in and watch batting practice. You don't know. You're just gonna have to go from previous data. You know. Which yeah, you, their which swing could have fallen apart. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. If they're a prospect, or it could have changed dramatically. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either, there's going to be a lot more variance to that because you don't know. So, and and in in a way that creates kind of an asymmetry of knowledge. Like the team that that player is currently on now will know more than the other team because they'll see that and they'll get the reports. But mm-hmm. The other team won't. So, and furthering that problem is a lot of teams have laid off scouts. Mm-hmm. So even if they could visit them, they're not going to, so because yeah. <laughs> they got nobody to go there. So yeah. it does create that asymmetry even more. So that's going to create a problem, I think, in the trade market. And then there's the players that aren't playing right now that aren't on those 60-man rosters and don't have a minor league season. You have no idea what shape they're in, what they've been doing. How I mean, you would you'd like to assume that 
every professional baseball player is doing everything they can to stay in shape. But a lot of these guys, maybe they can't afford to, maybe they have to work other jobs. Maybe, I don't know. So you, there's just so much you don't know about all of these players, the, the ones that you can't watch right in front of your eyes during the regular season, that prospect valuation is just, it's more of a coin flip than usual. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you might sadly see some players decide to just hang it up and go get a day Mm -hmm. job, you know, because, you know, they're not going to play this year. Then who knows next year it looks like they might just say, you know what, screw it. It's not worth it. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised to see that as well. Um, Yeah. You you can see those guys kind of on the triple A fringes where maybe this, maybe they're 25 and this was the year that, you know, a big season gets them that first MLB opportunity and they can kind of try and take it from there. And if they're not on that 60 man, then maybe next year they're 26. Is the team really going to look at them as, as viable of an option? Yeah, I don't know. But I will say, this is all very depressing. One yeah. silver lining. Let's talk about the silver lining. The silver lining from, from a player standpoint is Noah Syndergaard, Chris Sale. These guys mm-hmm. had t- Tommy John surgery. They picked the perfect time to do it because yes. they're not missing out on anything. <laughs> so like their value had already dropped from a trade value point of view. Mm-hmm. There's nothing left to lose. Hey, why not? So um, I'm not saying that's happy news. I'm just saying no. yeah. know, maybe they're the least affected. <laughs> and, and you'd hope that their rehab isn't interrupted by this, um, that they're still able to yeah. complete their full process. Uh, on that same page as players that were injured in spring training. Um, guys like Verlander, Stanton, um, mm-hmm. those types where they they would have missed half a season maybe, and now it looks like the Otani. Otani's a big one. They might have missed yeah. a significant chunk of the season, and now it looks like they're ready to go for all sixty games. Paxton, the Yankees rotation yes. is all full of question marks. Yankees were big got... winners here. <laughs> yeah. Now Paxton has made a glass, so he's probably going to last a game or yeah. two before he gets hurt again. But you know, right now it looks okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And knowing the Yankees, they'll have somebody that shouldn't come up and be productive, do exactly that. It'll be a yeah. Jonathan Loisica is going to throw 30 scoreless innings and and they'll still lose yep. in the ALDS. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. No, they'll pick up a couple more Mike Talkmans and, you mm-hmm. know, Mike Fords and, you know, who knows what where they'll get those guys. But uh, obviously Cashman's very good at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that kind of back to the depressing zone is the the players that are opting out of the season. Um, For most of those guys, it's been kind of cut and dry for us um, since we were lucky that Mike Leak and Ryan Zimmerman, who are two of the biggest to opt out so far, they are free agents after the season. Um, But the, how, how else are we going to be looking at some of these players that opt out? Well, um, yes, those are easy ones because um, they ha- they're they not under con- – well, League has a buyout for 2020, but yeah. otherwise he's not under contract, uh, same with Zimmerman. So those are zeroed out It's from a math point of view. That's obvious. Um, the only one who's sort of an exception that I've seen so far is Joe Ross of the Nationals, mm-hmm. um, who has one more year of control in his ARB3 year coming up in 2021. So – Based on that, we still project that he will have some value. Obviously, we don't know any details about his health situation or what have you, but um, yeah. on at least right now, he basically just wipes out 2020, and we're just going to go with his valuation for 2021. I don't believe it's in – if it is, I haven't seen it in writing anywhere that these guys can't be traded if they've opted out. 
I do think they're very, very unlikely to be traded. I think that would be a very, uh, very mean. <laughs> the guy says it he's, would. for health concerns, he wants to stay at home for the season and keep his family safe. And you say, okay, but do it in New York. <laughs> well, except for if he's opted out, he wouldn't have to leave home. You're basically trading for him. True. For, for, for the benefit rights. of 2021. Yeah. yeah, for the future, after ho- hopefully everything is fine next year, you know, somewhat back to normal. So if you wanted to trade for Joe Ross, he he can stay at home, and then you might have him for next year um, mm-hmm. at a little bit of value. Um, so, yeah, but that's obviously not an ideal time to do so. Yeah, it's, it's not an ideal time for a lot of things, but we're going to make the best of it that we can, and I think baseball is going to do so as well. Yes, so let's have some fun with our sites and uh, make the best of it. Yeah, um, we're, for all the reservations that we have, for all of the concerns that we've brought up during this podcast, I think we're both as excited as anybody that baseball's back. I think we both missed it quite a bit in its absence, and we have our fingers I, I can't crossed. tell you how, yes, I would love to see something on ESPN and MLB Network and the other channels that is not from 2011 or 2004. Yes. See me something new that's actually I, real and live. I had some good times. I got to got to watch some games that happened before I was born. I got to watch some KBO. Um, shout I out couldn't to, stay up late for the KBO. Uh, West Coast a little easier for that. Yeah. Um, shout out to Chris Flexen of the KBO, one of my old pitching coaches, and now putting together a pretty nice. good season out there. Um, nice. But th- that was some fun. It's not the same, and it never would be. I, I miss some of these players. I miss the teams. I miss the. I miss Major League Baseball. We all do, Josh. <laughs> so if it's, it, it comes back okay and stays, everybody stays healthy, and we can get through a season. Right. So if it's back and it's here to stay. Yes. So on that note, I want to thank you guys all for listening in to our first episode back. We're going to try and keep this going every week for the foreseeable future. Keep you guys all updated on the trades and the trade environment and all everything that's going on with this weird, wacky world that we live in these days. Um, so if you'd like to, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to leave them in the post. Send us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com uh, or contact us directly on Twitter at baseballvalues. So we hope you guys have a fantastic week and we will see you guys next week. Thanks, Josh. Bye, everybody. Thank you, John.